Accidental Hope listeners, wanted to let you know that we have launched a Patreon. If you're interested in giving from a joyful heart, please follow Patreon forward slash Accidental Hope, and I would love your support. If this blesses you today, would you mind liking, sharing, following, subscribing, tell a friend, or even leaving a review? Thanks so much. Welcome to Accidental Hope Podcast, a community that seeks hope and healing from a faith perspective. My name is Jennifer, and I'm not an expert, but I do share life experiences because I believe it will help someone else. So get ready to open your heart, laugh, cry, and receive. Let's get started. Today, we have a special guest. It takes a unique calling and a servant's heart to be a county chaplain. And Dr. John Knox, a husband to Jan of 34 years, also has three grown children, as well as he serves in his local congregation in Granbury, Texas. He is also the Hood County Chaplain for First Responders. I am proud to call him my chaplain. He answered the call on the night of my accident and since then has been instrumental in my journey. Listen in as he shares his experiences with grief, trauma, and what he likes to call as a ministry of presence. So welcome to the show, Dr. Knox. Thank you. I'm so glad to have you. Thank you. This was um, something that we've talked about for months, and now here we are. I can't wait to pick your brain and your expertise, you know, just what you can share to our audience and our listeners of people who have been in traumatic accidents with fatality and serious injury, and those that maybe aren't, that have never experienced anything like this, but just see it on the news. So tell us a little bit about what you do and your passion and how you got started serving. Well, I've been in ministry 32 years, coming um, really actually close to 33. In 1990, so it's been just over 29 years ago, I helped start the volunteer chaplaincy program for the police department in Wichita Falls, Texas, mm-hmm. and served there for a number of years. I was the, the training coordinator, which was kind of funny because I was the youngest in the chaplain corps. I was 27 years old at the time. Just and a very- baby! Yeah, so I was the baby of the group, and because mm-hmm. I was a part-time professor at the university, they thought I was a good training coordinator, and I just laughed. I said, I'm clueless. I'm young. I'm green. Uh-huh. And they said, yeah, but you're a teacher, so you'll be a great training coordinator, which is, I still look back at that and laugh because I was, I needed to be trained. <laughs> oh, so you were baptized by fire, right? I was baptized by fire very quickly. My very first call out was um, a four-year-old. They had told me he had drowned. And as it turned out, the little boy's mother did CPR and he was okay. But when I got the initial call, I remember driving to that scene thinking, what have I gotten myself into? Of course, you know, now there's been all kinds of things since then. I've been in Granbury 15 years and uh, served the Granbury Police Department and uh, the Texas Highway Patrol, uh, the Department of Public Safety on a volunteer basis. And then I fill in uh, at the Hood County Sheriff's Office as well. We, they have their own chaplain, but I fill in and help uh, where I can. Wow, so you just stay busy. So God's yes. grace is sufficient yes. to be able <laughs> to do all those things. Wow. I mean, it takes a very special person, I believe. I, kn- I know that I thought about first responders because my brother-in-law is a dedicated fireman. And I remember him, you know, telling us different things occasionally when I think one of the significant ones was um, an accident that had involved a little boy that was about the age of our sons. 
Yes. And I remember how that was pretty tough on him. And so I've always had a heart for first responders, but it just grew to new capacity when I had my accident and I saw the work being done, not just right then, but, and not just myself, but other things happening, multi thorough and professional, but also kind and caring and, and multiple accidents and doing this over and over and over again. And it just, my eyes were opened. My hat's off to you because mm-hmm. you are walking that journey with these first responders, not just them, but even the families, which is amazing. You know, thank you for what you do. Thank you. It's a real joy. It's a privilege. I'll tell you, you're one of the, you're probably the only person on this planet has seen me fall apart in the way that you did. (laughs) And I remember leaving your office that first time and thinking, wow, I just completely fell apart. And, and then I felt so much better. And I thought, bless this man's heart, because I can't be the first person to completely fall apart in that office, you know, it, it matters to me and you I know, appreciate what it. What stands out to me that the troopers were very concerned about you that day. They called me when you're on your way over there and it's, it's funny, this is so typical of the way they are. They didn't call and say, are you available? They just said, Jennifer's on her way. You're going to take care of her goodbye. And they hung up. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the typical, it's not like, uh, can you do this? Are you available? It's just that you are going to do this. Here's your orders. Goodbye. <laughs> and and they trusted you to know that you would you would take care of me, yes, and you did. Yes, they, do. Yeah, they do, and they know that um, uh, my orders are to drop everything I'm doing and take, which is what you should do. I agree, and and that's why they're they're great to work with. They don't. Um, there's no fooling around. When it's time to do something, you do it, and you clear you clear whatever else you're doing, and you take care of it. Right, and it wasn't you. Ex- you extended that graciousness also to my children and to my girls and to my husband, which is which is really special too. So talk to me about grief and talk to me about grief counseling and, you know, the work that you're doing with PTSD. Tell us a little bit about what you've seen, maybe patterns, what you recommend to the listener who hasn't sought out help, who's trying to make it on their own. Could you explain a little bit about? I think grief that stems from any kind of trauma, it's unexpected. It's so different than if you, for example, watched a loved one who is dying of cancer over a period of time, and perhaps they'd been on hospice care. Now, that's obviously extremely difficult as well, but grief that stems from trauma is unique because it completely comes out of left field, completely unexpected. One minute, everything is relatively normal in your life, as normal as as we ever get, and then in the ne- in a matter of seconds, your life is turned upside down. And that's true for any kind of trauma, whether it's stemming from a crash or whether someone's loved one has been the victim of a crime or it's something that related to a suicide. But these are all, any kind of traumatic event, it's, it's so unexpected. In some cases, there is a component of violence to it. And, and the violent aspect, it's, it's not TV. It's not TV at all. It's not, it's not pretty. It's very ugly and very scary. And your sense of safety has been completely taken away in a sense. You know, your sense of safety, your sense of 
of normalcy, your whole world has imploded very quickly. And that's why it makes any kind of um, recovering from the trauma, working through the grief, it's so unique because of those factors. It's uh, a process. The acute phase mm-hmm. where it's just happened. You're in such a state of shock emotionally, physically. Everything feels very surreal. It's like, I think I just had a bad nightmare and I'm going to wake up and this is not any, none of this is going to be true. Right. And that phase can last a while. I mean, oh, weeks. I feel like yeah, I felt that week. weeks where you can't hardly function mm-hmm. and just do get up and put one foot in front of the other and do daily things you would normally do. Yes, I very much remember. It's where I was sort of like autopilot, but it wasn't like new mom autopilot. It was completely out of body experience where that physical part that you're talking about, I feel like now is a part of the brain kind of goes halt. We are overstimulated. We are at our max capacity. We're going to stop everything push out everything that can be stimulating, connecting emotionally. It's just frozen. Like your brain and your senses freeze so that it can kind of go heal and catch up to the reality. And I think I remember you telling me that when I got to the point where my brain understood what happened, but my heart hadn't. So there's disconnect of mind, the, the physical and the spiritual where you spiritually are morally injured is what I've heard that called. Then your physical brain is physically frozen protection mode. And then your, your emotional side, your heart doesn't know what to do either. And all that's happening at one time time for the heart to catch up with the brain. And the other thing I would say is no two people are going to respond to a similar trauma the same. Everybody's unique. One person might completely withdraw. Mm. Uh, where they can't speak. Others might be very outwardly emotional and can't stop talking about it. I, I think there are some patterns, you know, disrupted sleep, disrupted eating, you know, those kinds of things, your nightmares, all that's their normal reactions to abnormal circumstances. I do agree. And I hear that from the stories of other people. Some people feel completely numb and can't for months connect emotionally to anything, not even things that would be normal, like a passing of a parent. Then they feel guilty that they can't connect emotionally. Where I was on the other end of the spectrum and I cried at everything. Yes, yes. (laughs) Which was very unusual for myself. How did you know to find the right counselor? You know, because I hear of people being turned away from counselors, from therapists people that don't want to be a part of the liability, people that don't want to be called to court, you know, not uh, sure how to help someone. What should we look for? You want somebody that has some background and training in trauma Mm -hmm. or even specialize. And there, there are, um, in Texas, we have LPCs, licensed professional counselors. um, And there are LPCs, even in this area, in the DFW area, there are LPCs who specialize in trauma of all kinds. And so that would be uh, because other LPCs, they're more interested in say 
working with children or working with marriage and family, you know, that kind of thing. And, and, and I have friends, all my friends that I went to school with when I, I went to work back to school to work on a second master's degree in counseling at age 52, which who does that? That's crazy. But um, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I'm so glad you did. Everybody in my cohort, when they found out my interest was in crisis and trauma down to a person, they all said, Oh, not me. That's not my thing. That's not what I want to do. And they all had different interests. Uh, well, I want to work with this group or I want to work with that group. Um, but so you definitely want somebody that has some interest and maybe even some specialized training. Um, those of us in law enforcement chaplaincy, even if the chaplain is not a counselor, the chaplain has training in ministry mm-hmm. as someone who can provide pastoral care in that setting. Praying. Yes. Listening. Yes, active listening. Passion. And you know, somebody who's, been a chaplain for a long time. Like I'm thinking of one of our DPS chaplains who's in the Austin area. He's done this for a long, long time and he's extremely skilled and is gifted in serving people that are in all kinds of crisis. So that, that kind of, that's who you want, you know, and that person, they can't provide everything an LPC can, but in some ways they provide things an LPC may not, Mm -hmm. you know, the spiritual component and, the value of pastoral prayer and scripture insight, you know, um, just some spiritual perspective. I think that's so important. If someone's coming from a Christian worldview, they want some scriptural perspective. It's not that you're preaching to this person you're helping. I don't think it's a time for preaching, but I think they're looking for some spiritual insight because mm-hmm. we're looking at spiritual issues like guilt and forgiveness and shame, you know, those are all things that are, you know, spiritual in nature. Yeah. And purpose. And why yes. would a loving God do this and yes. allow yes. me to hurt someone? Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, free will and God's providence. Where is God at such a time as this? And is he present? Is he working in our lives? And all those things are important. I, th- I actually think they're priority. I agree. For myself, I think, you know, you know our story with Haven being sick and Katie being sick and we've been through some things. I never doubted my faith until the accident where I just couldn't understand not really why death happened because death was a part of life. And I think that's very much an understood thing that death was a cycle of life. It was more that, that my actions could cause someone's death yes unintentionally and 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 still feel just so burdened and not have any kind of peace and and how could that be my purpose if god ordained my steps and god gave me a purpose in life why could why in the world would that be my journey i think i've made peace with understanding i'm not going to understand a why it happened yes yes and, and and that's okay. I understand I had to get what was great about our conversations is that all those things that I knew that I knew that I knew, you helped me just kind of uncover what I knew in my in my spirit that was still disconnected. So it was just kind of putting those pieces back together, connecting those dots again, the things that were already just really solidified in my soul that I knew God existed. I knew God loved me, 
but in a time you have so much noise and you have so many things happening that um, I know for myself, you helping me from a pastoral side and not just a counseling side, but also kind of helping me connect those dots to where I made my own connections, not you enforcing them on me, but really you kind of, I refer to you as like a Jedi. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, I know I, I've really referred to you that way. It's like you had a Jedi mind trick where you wave your hand and you help reveal what I already knew. But when I made the connection, then it was so much more powerful because I couldn't even really, I couldn't actively listen because I have so much happening. It's like everything's distracted and distorted. And even things that people say, it's like I could distort what they just said. And I wasn't perceiving, you know, facial expressions from my husband the way I could before. Everything was off. So when you would wave your hand, just kidding, you didn't wave your hand, but whatever you, you know, that active listening, it helped connect the dots for me personally. I often tell people if they're interested in reaching out to someone who is experiencing, you know, trauma in, in that immediate aftermath, whatever you say to them, it's like Charlie Brown's teacher. Yes. That's how they're hearing it. Okay, you're speaking, and maybe what you're saying is really good. It's very <laughs> logical, and it's rational, mm-hmm. and it makes perfect sense. But what they're hearing is Charlie Brown's teacher. It, it Because they don't... Want, 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 want. It is. It's what they're hearing. <laughs> yes. A person in, a, um, in the immediate aftermath of trauma, they don't have the mental ability to process this complex uh, anything it's it's got to be very very simple communication like can i get you some cold water mm-hmm. and really i'm not sure they can even comprehend that so probably the best thing to do is just get the cold water and give it bring to the them. water yes yeah, just bring it to them and just do something don't in this whole business of asking somebody if there's anything i can do you know just well, tell they, me they don't have a person in trauma and, and i think this is true for anybody in grief regardless of the cause there's not the emotional energy and mental awareness to be able to say, oh, I think I'm going to call Jennifer. She can help me with this. It's just not there. They're so depleted. Mm-hmm. And can you, do you believe that I went through the grief process? People didn't understand that because I didn't know my victim, the victim. I didn't know him personally. But do you believe I grieved him deeply? Yes, yes you did. And And here's how my response to that. If you didn't, how could you, it's almost like you weren't human. How can you not? If you didn't, then something's wrong. You know, it'd be so cold. Mm-hmm. Now, again, there, I realize, I mean, add a caveat to that. Everybody's personality is a little different. Mm-hmm. And people grieve in different ways. And there is no set template that, okay, you have to grieve. And by the way, you're going to do it in this order. Right, right. You know, I think I may have told you it's more like bouncing. It's a like a a racquetball bouncing off walls is what grief looks like. But, mm-hmm. but yes, the process itself, how can you not? I'll tell you something interesting. What I've seen is many young people, and I've, I've only had encountered a handful of young people, and I've read two books about young people with accidents like mine. Not that I'm going to say that this is a pattern, but a lot of them do not connect their emotions and kind of stuff it down and try to move on as normal as possible. But when they become parents, when they're older 
they've matured suddenly they are connecting the dots of yes. of yes. this and then go through the grief seven years later you know that makes uh, sense that that makes perfect sense so it's it, you're right it's a racquetball court but it can also be just delayed response that that there is no rushing this process but the human person the caring kind we're talking about a normal maybe not someone with a I don't want to say criminal mindset but an unhealthy brain is that right is that yes, no, politically right. is that okay yeah that's say? right you know, okay. if you have normal emotions mm -hmm. uh, you're a caring person you, you fundamentally like people <laughs> <laughs> right you know, you fundamentally like people. if you've done something to harm someone it's devastating mm-hmm and the more on the, you know, personality wise in Myers-Briggs language, for example, the more on the feeling side of the scale, mm -hmm. the harder it is. But even those who aren't, they may feel those emotions very deeply. They just don't show them. I'm a feeler. Yes, you're but definitely you, a feeler. There's but you no knew that. You have, you have a neon sign across your forehead that says, I'm a feeler. Things from you. Oh, goodness. Bless you. God bless you for taking care of me. <laughs> I know. That was a chore. Okay. So, yes, the grief is a process. It's not going to happen in the way sometimes the books come. It's going to come in order. It's going to come in its own time. But it's important to deal with it. It's important to... I don't know if anybody else thinks that. I thought it was sequential. And where I came up with that, I'm not sure. I'm ashamed to say that because that's not really bright, you know, because you think, okay, I'm going to deal with shock now. Next, I'm going to deal with feeling depressed or next I'm going to feel anger and it's going to come sequentially. That's just, it's, it's going to be different for everybody. It's more like bouncing. Uh, or a cha-cha. I think yes, I cha-cha yes. into the shock and then yes. back into anger and then yes. over into numbness and then to emotional just breakdown denying and and, it's, and grief sneaks up on people it catches you from behind and startles you mm -hmm. think that oh i'm doing better mm -hmm. i think i'm gonna be okay and then it comes in a new wave and it's it sneaks up behind you you're completely taken off guard you think how did this happen for myself i when i tried to verbalize it to say my husband told them I said some people have PTSD related to something that is in their past that you you know you're not going to really see like say for instance a physical abuse or attack yes maybe in a movie it may be reenacted but they're not facing that and I tried to tell my husband every single day I drive I face my trauma every That's time true. I I get into the car every time I witness a close call in an accident or a pedestrian doing something not safe. I'm on high alert constantly. And I can't, I mean, there are people who choose never to drive again. There are many of us who choose not to drive again. But for myself, it's, it's not really feasible. I, if I have the option to opt out, I still do. Yes. And that makes sense. I mean, you think about it. That's, you know, now somebody who's not ever been exposed to anything like this would say, well, that just sounds a little kooky. Well, it's not kooky. <laughs> it's not kooky at all. <laughs> it feels kooky. Yeah, it's not. It's, <laughs> it's not. Just... Because you, you tell yourself you're okay. You are okay. You are safe. We could, we could try that scenario a hundred times and maybe never have the same outcome. You are safe. You are okay. And you still have to battle your own mind. Yes. 
so, so true. But it's worth it. I, I have found that it is worth it. I have things that work for me, kind of like grounding. I positive self-talk. I try to think of things that I can control. I can't control the drivers around me, but I can control which lane I'm in. Yes. I can control, you know, slowing down away from a risky driver. I can control turning down my music, asking the kids to tone it down that mommy needs a minute. I need everybody to tone it down in the car. Those are the things that I use to cope. I even pull over. If it really comes to it, I pull over. I kind of take a few deep breaths, I pray. I continue on what I need to do. That's good. Well, friends, that's all we have for today. Please join us next week as we continue the discussion with Dr. Knox. Remember, be an ambassador of hope. Seek hope and share it because something that you have, someone else needs. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Accidental Hope. Remember to seek hope and share it. Come back next week. Bye. Happy Music number 7 brought to you by scottholmesmusic.com